Welcome to Cutting Edge Web Content Development, the podcast where we delve into the world of CMS systems and their crucial role in website and web content development. In each episode, we'll explore the reasons why founders, CEOs, CTOs, and CMOs of web content development companies need CMS systems to thrive in the digital landscape. Get ready to uncover the secrets behind successful website management, content creation, and seamless user experiences. Here's your host, Jonathan Ames. Welcome to Cutting Edge Web Content Development, a podcast by Butter CMS. Joining me today is Marcello Grande, co-founder of First Person. Welcome, Marcello. Tell us a little bit about First Person and kind of your role there. Well, hey, Jonathan, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. First Person is a San Francisco design and storytelling company. We're part creative agency and we're part consultancy. And we tend to focus in particular on B2B enterprise clients. Me personally, I oversee the strategic direction of our storytelling initiatives and I lead our creative team to ensure that our clients' visions are brought to life in the most compelling and impactful ways. A lot of times that manifests itself in the creation or modification of an enterprise website or creating content for a website or for social media channels. And so it's just like at a really high level what we do. The consultancy and agency piece is a really important component of that because consultancies develop old strategies. Agencies like to think deliver brilliant content and we do both. So that strategy and story evolves together. And when you're making all those wonderful things that an organization needs to make, they don't start to sort of tear at the seams and lose track of what's important to the business because both things are constantly evolving. Yeah. No, story is probably the most exciting part that most people think about when they're building digital content is they, they want to create some kind of story there. But tell me when you use the word story, in the context of digital content. What does that mean to you? That's a deep question. <laughs> deep question. That's sort of the ethos. 30 minutes later. <laughs> in many ways of what our entire existence is, or at least the way we see our purpose at first person, well, we've got a model for that. And I sort of answer it like this. I see and we see story as an abstract, right? The idea of story, and a lot of people, when they think story, you immediately have this idea in your mind about, all the things that that story is, the way we communicate, the maybe you think of Disney, et cetera. And it is those things, but it's also every touch point that you have with your audience, whether that's your team, your customers, the market. And to be able to kind of see past whatever frame you've put around the notion of story begins the process of how you actually can use it as a tool in the organization inside the business or how you can even use it with your team, if you will, to kind of help them to understand what it is that you're trying to do. So we've created a model that we sort of came, we came around to creating this model after so many years in business and listening to what customers wanted, what clients wanted, and started to understand where there were missing parts and pieces. And so we started to help them to essentially build this model. And we call it Center. I can go into some more detail about that, but ultimately that's the way we see story. It's an abstract. Okay. So what are the business benefits, especially to a business website or enterprise website, to having this story at the center? Well, I'm under the belief, and I've seen it, that most leaders really understand how powerful storytelling is as a business tool. Common knowledge. And so we don't need to spend any time, typically, 
compelling anybody that story is a really important thing that they need to figure out. And there are tons of metrics to support that. The problem though, the challenge is that the larger your organization, the more complex it is, the faster it's grown, the harder it is to really understand at the heart of that organization. How do you tell a compelling story? How do you share that with your employees, with your leaders? How do you make it clear to all the different audiences you communicate to that this is what we're all about? And that translates directly to the way you think about your content creation, the way you think about the way you're going to structure web properties. And I'll give you some metrics because I think the audience will appreciate these metrics. Uh, Effective storytelling increases customer loyalty by up to 82%, which leads to repeat purchases and long-term customer relationships, right? So for anybody in the marketing seat, anybody who's coming from the C-suite, this idea that brands with a strong narrative, they outperform and the S&P 500 index by about 219% over a 10-year period. That's a pretty heavy metric. If you start to consider, okay, we get it. Like The power of storytelling is clear. It's been proven. Companies with compelling brand narratives have a 50% higher market share than their competitors on average. Then how do we apply it? And so we look at it, and I said it was an abstract, but within that abstract, that's, this structure is quite simple. Most people are familiar with the atomic model. And if you think about the center of an atom, you've got a nucleus. And at the center of that nucleus, it's made out of different particles. And so in the storytelling context, we see vision as the core, right? Vision is strategy. It's the backbone of everything you need to do as an organization. And the more that you can understand how to craft vision, the more that people inside the organization, outside the organization understand what that is, vision has strategy, right? As your true north, you've now begun to build the center of the atom or the atomic model. And then immediately wrapping on top of that, you've got the category of business you're in, right? And so category being, hey, what is it that we do as a business? What unique place in the world have we carved for ourselves? And it's where we're always aiming our clients to be, to help differentiate them. And if we can design a category If you as a business owner or someone who works inside of an organization have a really clear understanding of your category, then that is a plus plus. And then the last piece is narrative, right? It's all the parts and pieces that explain why your company is unique, how they relate, and the order in which they come in. And so it's a representation or a manifestation that helps define the story. So again, it's vision, category, narrative. Those three things combined are are what we call sort of story, right? That's the nucleus. And the next piece, the most important piece, is aligning all the employees and leadership inside that organization around those sort of three truths. And in terms of narrative, understanding how to translate it to the part of the business that's most relevant to you without completely making it your own story. And this matters because when we start to talk about how we're going to build a website or how we're going to create a piece of social media content, a campaign, for example, It needs to be tied back to that core story, to those three things, that vision, that category, that narrative, if we're going to start to build trust and confidence in the market so that folks start coming back and recognizing what is it about our organization that's uniquely different. Yeah, vision, category, and such, those sound like they play a lot into what marketers would call positioning. So it sounds like those two interact a lot, the story and the positioning Is that the case, or do you consider positioning a part of story? Positioning, depending on who you ask, is an important piece of sort of building the brand. And we do see that within the narrative, 
there's a really important opportunity to develop all the aspects and attributes of traditional brand, brand messaging platform, if you will. But this is actually at a layer below that. These are sort of the foundational core elements that sort of support like, hey, what do we stand for? And where do we play? And once you figure that out, if you can figure it out, it's a lot easier to start to move forward in the business because I've been doing this for a long time, 22 years or so. I've worked for a lot of agencies. I've worked with many of the Fortune 100s and, and 500 companies. And it's not that they don't have a good story to tell in most cases. It's that they have a hard time figuring out how to tell it succinctly and how to get all those people in the organization to agree, if you will, to align around, hey, this is what we're trying to say. And then eventually, you can start to move that into positioning around thing like a product or a service. Like, hey, how is this relevant to you, customer, you, audience member, in the decision to buy or whatever decision it is we're trying to help make easy for you to understand? Now we're positioning ourselves directly to you. But hopefully we're already aligned on the fact that you came here because we do something really different and we share a view of the world. Like our vision is similar, whatever that happens to be. So this is something where it's like, say campaigns might be something in months and maybe positioning might be a year or two. This is something below that. Maybe once you get your story right, you're saying this is something foundational that maybe you'll keep for multiple years. Oh, yeah. In the ideal scenario, an organization that crafts a truly North Star vision, vision as strategy, something that is that paramount aspirational piece is something that can endure forever. And the best visions, not only are they strategies, but there's something that you may never actually fully achieve, but that everybody shows up to work every day because they're invested in trying to get as close to that and sort of chip away at it as possible. So now, if your vision for the future is, hey, you know what? We want to enable everybody to live in a, in a safer, more sustainable world as a result of making people smile through the best jokes, right? For example, like, I don't know, how do you measure that? Well, you keep working on telling the best jokes and trying to get people to smile and you come and you keep doing it every day. And you hope other people look at that and go, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. But yes, it's enduring. And category, category is similar. You can tune category. It depends. There are companies that come in that they want to be better. Being better is one way to compete. And you, if you're better, you're already in a category, right? I want to be only better than those guys over there. And that's not the best place to be, but it's some businesses are built for better. And then there's best, right? Like, okay, well, you know what? We're going to be the best in this category. We're going to, we've heard it a million times. We're going to be the market leader. And Okay, that's a good place to be for as long as you can be the market leader, right? It's a hard place to be. It's crabs in a bucket. And then there's different. Different is we own this category. It's ours. We invented it. We're first to market. Nobody else is doing what we're doing. We have the opportunity to have the largest share if we do this right. If we get our story right, our products right, got our category right, maybe we walk away owning 70, 75% of this market as a result of being different. I'm a big fan of the play different folks and the entire sort of ethos of the category pirates and, and the notion of category design on whole as sort of a more compelling way to approach what maybe historically we've looked at as positioning and product market fit. And instead looking through the lens of, okay, vision, category, market fit, and narrative and getting everybody aligned around those things. Excellent. So this is big S story, story that really is foundational as opposed to like, 
little less, here's a story that maybe we tell through a campaign or a brand or something. So I like that you mentioned metrics there and that you shared the loyalty metric. That's a great one. There's a lot of people wondering, you know, is this story working and how do I measure it? Maybe you can provide some examples of that, of some companies or some organizations that you successfully helped them implement this, this big S story into their digital content and the, the metrics that they were able to use to measure that success. Absolutely. Well, I'll start with a baseline metric, which is companies that leverage storytelling in their marketing campaigns can experience about 125% higher lead gen rate compared to those who don't. And since we're talking about something in parallel, share a little bit of an anecdote and I'll, I'll obfuscate the names because I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But we started working with a, uh, I'll call them a healthcare technology company several years ago. And they had been in business for many years, publicly traded company, 20 plus years in business, uh, closer to the 30 year side of business. And they were known for producing a, a very specific thing, right? A product. And everyone loved the product. It was a great product. And they were best in class, if you will. But it really wasn't enough. And their CEO had a desire to be more than best in class. He really saw a different future. And so we worked with him and the CMO and many of the other great leaders at that organization to help them put this big S story at the center of the organization. And it took some time, right? It's not an easy thing to do. And you go through all the things, but for all the marketers out there, you know, you get to that moment where you've done the consultative side of developing the, this big story. You've got your category. You've done your visual identity, and we're now working on the enterprise web property, and we're about to go and do a very large launch with the help of the entire marketing, sales, and product team, right? It's not just an agency effort by any means. We play a, a small role when it comes to these things. Now, this organization really decided to do an about face in terms of what they stood for for all these years. So in many ways, this is a scary moment in time, but one that they felt very confident that they could do, and there was testing along the way, of course. And when we revealed this new category out into the world to their audience, and we actually launched it at a really large global healthcare event, and we did a big analyst briefing and launched a new enterprise website, their stock price began moving on a trajectory where it had been hovering around the $70 mark for many years and made its way north of the $200 mark and, and stayed there until we had this financial downturn. Additionally, they opened the door to entirely new customer audiences that they never had before. So they had been relegated to an operational audience, which is fine, right? Operational audiences are bread and butter. But to get this new vision through the door, they really needed to start to talk to decision makers, to leaders, people who also shared that same idea about the world. And so that meant putting on marketing events for these leaders, sharing that vision in new, unique ways. And this company saw not only massive increase in stock price, but we set an OKR as an executive leadership team. And that OKR was, look, we've been in business for 20 plus years. We're a publicly traded company and we do about 500 million ARR and we want to be a billion dollar company. And that's a big piece of why we're doing this. Now, we're not motivated by the money to seek out the rationale for the vision, but we hope that the world sees it the same way and it'll propel us into the billion-dollar ARR world. And it did. And within a year, it exceeded billion in annual recurring revenue. And within two and a half years, had actually surpassed that on their way to being a three and a half billion-dollar company after sort of being locked in 
you know, in this same place. And we're not talking valuation, we're talking about actual money coming in. And so I guess the moral of the story here is when you have a group of leaders who are willing to invest in figuring out how to put that story inside the business and to bring their employees along, even though it's, it can be arduous, right? Not People don't like change. You can absolutely transform everything about your organization and reinvigorate it, breathe new life into it. Oh, that's incredible. It's a great story. Uh, a lot of motivating metrics there as far as how they saw success from that initiative. So we've got this idea of story at the center. This is your model for how you help companies create this big S story. Let's transition now to a tactical side. How do you start implementing something like this into your digital content? How would it affect digital content? Sure. So I would say that anybody who's creating digital content is immediately thinking about their audience. I hope you're thinking about your audience. And a lot of times we'll have organizations will have sort of a list of the personas that they market to, and they've got those personas sort of divided up, right? And, and so you hopefully have done some homework and you figured out who are our big picture influencers, right? Who are our buyers? And, and you have you divided the buying audience. So step one, if you haven't done that, really start to think carefully about who are the folks who you want to make a decision and what decision do you want them to make and how do you want them to make it? But in terms of how story plays there, Knowing those audiences and understanding their needs allows us and an organization to start to translate that, that sort of big S story into small little relevant pieces, whether it's a headline or you're getting down into talking about feature benefits or just compelling somebody to come and come to a webinar, or come to your conference and, and start to understand what it is that you do that's different. So for example, we're looking at, let's say, a tech buyer audience, right? And we have an ops buyer audience, like two audiences segmented. And what we're going to do is we're going to carefully think about, do we need two different versions of that story to really make sure that both audiences are getting the value that they need? Does it tie back to the master story, to, to this core sort of big S story that we're going to put in the center of this organization? Okay, great. What, do we, what action do we want them to take? And can we track it? Can we measure what success looks like. And so typically we'd have a KPIs sort of as your primary metric. We want to move the needle. We want to see demand gen increase. And so that means we need to capture whatever, 20,000 new leads in the next 60 days, for example. And then we want to convert whatever, 2% of those. Okay, cool. It's working. We've told a compelling story and people are telling us, or, well, it's not working the way we thought with the tech buyer audience. Ops buyers are getting it. Tech buyers aren't getting it. What are we doing wrong? What can we modify? I talked earlier about this atomic model, nucleus at the center, and then around that, you've got employees and leaders sort of swirling along like uh, electrons around this story. They're totally aligned around it. But the, on the outside of this is all the content and experiences that an organization puts out. So you know, what we're talking about right now, those sort of unique those unique threads that tie back to the core story are really important. And so a lot of times you'll see we're going to run simultaneous campaigns and those are going to be social. Some are going to be traditional 360 advertising. You might have a series of speaking opportunities or like a roadshow. You'll have sales enablement tools. You might even have like an experience center. There are so many different things. And those are all those sort of outlying pieces. But the idea that they all connect back to the core 
is really, really important. And when they do, that's when you start to get this, it's like a snowball effect. It becomes easier and easier to create meaningful content and to maybe kind of preemptively answer the question I pose, which is, well, tech buyer audiences and content isn't working. What do we do about that? Rather than saying, well, it's because we don't have a good brand story or we don't have a good, we don't have a handle on how we talk about ourselves or we need a new logo. You say, no, we figured that out. We did the hard work and we all agreed it's right. And now we need to focus on something more myopic. We're, there's something here specifically about this audience that we just haven't gotten right. So let's modify that. Let's not blow up the whole company. Not a problem with blowing up the company. It's an issue with this particular message because look, the ops buyer message is working, right? We're converting over there. Yeah, you bring up this point of getting these various personas of these audiences and kind of segmenting content for them. Do you tactically see that as something that you do in your general pages or do you create dynamic content that's supposed to be just triggered for these particular groups? How do you personalize, like, say, let's just go with a website to begin with. People are coming in, you've got all different audiences there. How would you segment out that story so that you could look and say, all right, one audience is performing really well, the other one is not? So every time we approach developing a web property, there's a slightly different approach depending on the comfort of an organization. But one thing that we feel has worked in the past, and it was something we did with this particular client whose story I told about the massive growth, and we've got a lot of stories like that, is we started to look at how do you create a customer journey online? And on the .com that caters specifically to a personalized journey based on the persona. How do you hide that? So like the obvious way would be like, oh, and you've seen, we've all seen this before, business buyer, consumer, but that's a little in your face and it sort of divides the audience and it silos a lot of content and forces organizations to double down on everything they're creating, which makes a lot of complexity. So if there are ways to allow your audience, especially if you really understand who's coming and you're tracking what's going on in your website, to think, first of all, what do we want them to achieve on our website, right? A website can't do all things for all people. So I would say, first, you have to start by saying, what's the purpose of our site? And what does success look like? And you only need a couple of really good success metrics. You shouldn't have a list of 50 things, right? Like, hey, what do we want this site to do? What's its purpose? And who's coming here? Who did we build it for? Or who are we building it for? Then you can start to create user journeys on that site that are more customized to the needs of those different audiences. And you can start to lead them directly to the things that they're going to want to understand. And one of the things you'll probably want them to understand, and I've seen a lot of organizations getting better at this, is talk to your audience about what you stand for and what kind of company you are up front. It's great. Got an amazing product, but the data has shown that no matter how good your product is, at a certain point, that's what gets you trapped in that better or best box, right? And the, the warning there for those folks who haven't thought about it through this lens is that when you're in the better or best box, the only thing that you have as a competitive edge is you may for a short period of time have a feature or benefit that you can offer that a competitor doesn't, and you can compete on price. And when I say compete on price, I mean you can compete by having a competitive lower price. And eventually, so does number two, and so does number three, and it becomes this sort of war, right? And we've seen it recently with EVs, where you know there are these EV price wars, where it's like the market is so saturated, that the only way to move vehicles and make margin is to drop the prices dramatic. And so this is just basic economics. So 
you have to try to be different. You've got to try to meet these folks where they are. So what we've done in more advanced sites is we've actually used account-based marketing and we've used tools to customize the journey based on, on customers who are returning or we're expecting that. And so we've worked with the sales organization to say, hey, let's figure out who our top accounts are, right? And let's hope that they get back here. And let's hope they get back here because we're telling great stories and we're running campaigns everywhere and we're leading this audience. So I'll, I'll stick with tech buyer and off buyer for now. And maybe the big picture influencers are coming every once in a while too, but they're mostly sending people to go exactly where we need them. And then when they get there, it's like, well, hey, Jonathan Ames, how are you? Here, We know what company you work for. We know what role you're in. And we know what kind of content you're likely to really want to see. Now, we might know about that because we understand through the most generic lens possible who you are as a persona, right? Or as a segmented audience member, or, and it won't be news to most people who listen to this, that we've talked to you before somehow, some way. We met you at a trade show. You checked us out on LinkedIn. You visited our Facebook page and gave us a few likes on some content. And now we know a little bit more about you. We're pulling all that in through an advanced set of tools into our .com. So when you come there, you're seeing something different than the person that just sort of arrived at it thin air. Okay, so you're talking about cookie or maybe a login-based dynamic content coming up to them that identifies who they are and says, all right, here's content based on what you'd like. Kind of like what they do in an e-commerce setting where, hey, we know you bought here before. This is what you liked. Bring it back to you, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know. I think we all have a lot to learn constantly from like the consumer world, right? Like everything we love about our consumer experiences is slowly makes its way into our more conservative B2B space. Yeah. But like, I don't know, you go to a website, you look for something. Yeah, you can find it really easily. And then you come back again, maybe later that day or the next day and you refresh the page and you get a new lander with a different message, but it's still the same page and the nav is the same and you can pick up where you left off. It feels like, oh, this company cares about me. Like they put some effort into this. And I know that's hard to do or it can be hard to do. But it's getting easier every day. Like the tools that we have available to us are incredible. So for those who haven't gotten this idea of segmenting and creating dynamic content, what are going to be the challenges that are going to arise for them in failing to segment their biggest story into these different personas? <laughs> the biggest challenge that I've seen time and time again is that a lot of times organizations have these really great personas worked out and they're the user personas for their products and services. They mistakenly try to apply them directly to the website. And so you'll sit down and you've got a lot of really bright people, product marketing team, sales team, maybe some leaders across different parts of the org and say, oh, well, you know, we've got 50 personas that we've got to talk to. You've got Jan over here and Bob and Joe. It's like, okay, wait, let's be realistic. Again, you cannot build a website. We all know this, but you can't build a website for, that does everything for everybody. Somehow, even though we know that to be true and we've been building websites for what, like at least over two decades, we still keep repeating the same mistakes, thinking that if we build it, they will come. And so the first thing you need to do as a team is you need to really look at all those different personas that you have, those sort of software users or hardware users, whoever they are, and you need to start to bucket them together into groups. You need to do some synthesis. You need to think very carefully when you synthesize these audiences into not who they are necessarily, but what behavior 
or what thing do you want them to do on your website? So they may come from different places in the organization, but if ultimately you want them to have the same sort of outcome or same response online, you can start to think about bucketing them in that way. Like That's how we get to this idea of, well, we've got a big picture influencer audience. Is a big picture influencer audience always a, a CTO? No, not at all. It depends on the cross-section between maybe the investor audience, a little bit of tech buyers, a little bit of ops buyers. Maybe there's even some project management in there for all we know. So we need to think carefully about what those cross-sections are and simplify, simplify, simplify. And I would say that if you're building a website and you're able to break it down and get to five or less audiences that you're really trying to serve, you're going to be in good shape. If you can get it down to three, you're going to be able to track your success much more carefully. Now, you can debate this as a company. You should. I would recommend it. <laughs> right. And what I mean is you should do this exercise outside the silo of your team and really discuss and debate the various ways in which you can build these segmented audiences because they can be put together in different ways. But it's an important exercise. Uh, Marcello, that's really great advice. I think a lot of times people kill what's possible because they try to go to this perfection of let's make a persona for everybody and and let's get super segmented on all of these and it just slows everything down and basically you can't get any results out of that. So yeah, good advice. I'll tell you an anecdote on something we're working on right now. We've been working on it for a long time. Large enterprise company, global company, um, financially doing great. Big enterprise web project. They serve over 200 different personas if you look at what's there, maybe more, right? And unfortunately, this exercise was never really executed. Sort of think very carefully about how do we ladder up all these different personas that we have across all these different industries and all these different divisions of the business into something that makes sense. And it just didn't happen, right? That exercise didn't happen. And so it was bypassed and, and a very expensive web property was constructed that took a couple of years, if not more. And it hasn't been able to deliver on those key metrics that the organization really needed that website to deliver on, which means, you know, they're, they're not sure where attribution is coming from. Like lead generation, I don't know. Is it working? No, it's not working. We don't think so. Demand generation, that's not working either. And so reverse engineering these things is really painful once they're already in place because now the common casualty, and again, I see this all the time, really large companies, sometimes you'd be surprised who they are, even though they know they want to solve the problem, is that because you don't know who you're talking to, everybody thinks they know who they're talking to. And what you do is you create meaningless streams of content that you just throw at your website that nobody ever looks at. And you create all this debt and essentially just clog up the pipes, slow down the system, create lots of work for the marketing team or whoever has to manage all that stuff, all that SEO. So you're costing yourself tons and tons of money and you're probably not really getting a lot out of that investment. All because we don't know who we're talking to. Oh, great advice. And now you really simplified it down. You know, what is it we want them to do? Let's find these buckets around what it is that we want them to do and then build the content around that. So that's great. Let me ask you now some personal insights in your career. I ask this of all my guests. I find it very interesting, the answers we get. If you could go back in time to tell yourself at the beginning of your career one piece of advice, Outside of, you know, buy Bitcoin or Apple stock, what would it be? <laughs> wow. That's a deep question too. You keep asking me these questions that I haven't considered. One piece of advice, if I could go back earlier in my career, 
I believe it would be that I would spend more time understanding the way that the businesses operate. I think understanding the way that large organizations function, how they thrive, how they fail, has helped me as a strategist. It's helped me as a creative leader. You know, I spend most of my time working with CEOs and CMOs. So most of my day is is there in the C-suite helping to kind of pull these ideas through. And then once they're pulled through, the rest of the time is often spent working in the sales and marketing work. And so the more I understand about the business, I feel like the more credible (laughs) a lot of these ideas that would seem very creative are accepted inside the organization. So yeah, maybe I wish I would have went to business school after art school. Yeah, Uh, no, I understand that. So in your career, what have been the things that you found that really has helped you develop in your career, whether it's a podcast or a book or something along that lines that kind of you could recommend to others? Yeah, reading lots of books, for sure. I think sort of tapping into a few different schools of thought, right? Tapping into the, all the sort of books around design thinking and really sort of initially starting with a lot of the lessons that IDEO had. I was a big fan of that. But one of the things to kind of take away from that, because at this point, everyone's familiar with design thinking, it's just this idea of being transparent, this idea of sharing with your team, sharing with your clients often and early, bringing them into the process and treating everybody, whatever their role is, as being like cultural anthropologists, really important to the process of solving problems and not thinking that you need to cook something and serve it, rather have people help you do the mise en place in the kitchen, right? Everyone should be preparing together. That way, if someone has a bright idea and wants to modify the recipe, No one later will say, well, I'm allergic to that and now I can't eat it. So (laughs) that idea of playing together. And I think I picked that up from reading a lot of IDEO books. And then on the other side of that, it would be Henry Mintzberg has been a big inspiration and sort of where we took the notion of vision as strategy and really adopted it in our practice at first person. So he's a famous business strategist that sort of, I think, made a big name for himself in the 80s and 90s. He's a professor today. So check out some Henry Mintzberg if you're interested in understanding sort of management consultant and sort of M&A culture, which is going on in most of the organizations that we work for, work with. And then most recently, you heard me say it, the, the guys who are really spearheading category design as an entire sort of category of thought in terms of the business landscape. So the category pirates, the, the folks who authored Play Bigger, uh, which has been out for several years now, but they've got, Chris Lockhead's got a great podcast. It's called, I think, Follow Your Different, which I'm a big fan of. Follow Your Different? Yeah, you never know who's going to be on there or what they're going to talk about, but it could be offensive. It might not be. You never know, but they're going to talk about something <laughs> provocative. Yeah, you got to be offended every once in a while to make progress. If it's always comfy, then you probably don't look very deep at things. So yeah, good advice there. Well, tell me a little bit about your agency, kind of what, you've told us a little bit about your story model. Who are the right kind of clients who should approach you and how do they get a hold of you? Sure. Backstory here is that I came from a design background and had another agency before. So we spent years working in all the traditional elements of creating campaigns and building visual identity systems. And we loved it and we still do. But at a certain point in that journey, we started to realize that a lot of the agencies that we're working with, executing for, just didn't necessarily have the depth of knowledge around the functions of the business, the value of the products and service. They were really good at that very high top of the funnel work. 
And so we started to invest deeply in understanding and meeting with engineers in our clients' organizations, with the product marketers, really getting deep into what is it that you actually do? What problem do you solve in the world? And then taking that information that maybe engineers aren't so good at translating and starting to translate that into stories that drove revenue for these organizations. And the more we were able to prove that out, the more we started to learn what was dysfunctional in those organizations and how we could improve it. So you fast forward to today, and today what first person does is primarily we work with organizations that are undergoing transformation of one kind or another. Maybe you've been in business for a long time and you've been successful, but you know there's a pivotal moment on the horizon and you need a hand. Maybe there's new leadership in place, a new CEO has been appointed or a new CMO has come in and you need help pulling your story together. Some of the pieces are there, but it's just hard to make sense of. Or you're a startup and you've got a great product and you're starting to build traction, but you're really struggling to differentiate and you need a partner that is geeky enough to go in, get in the weeds with you and figure it out. So it's pragmatic, but at the same time, it's exciting. So we work with companies of all sizes, Jonathan, as long as the companies are funded, doing this work takes some time, usually lasts anywhere from a quarter to, to a year to get through some of these processes. We work with companies like Google and Cisco and Hexagon and Omnicell and most of the companies that people would recognize and then a lot of companies that people probably haven't heard of that, that we've helped. So if you need help with your story, you can find us or first person or at firstperson.is. Like, pretty easy to find us online. We've been in business for over 20 years and you can go to our website and actually learn a, a lot about sort of the way we approach problem solving. Excellent. Thanks so much for the strategic and tactical insights you gave us today, Marcello, and uh, some of the personal insights throughout your career. Really appreciate those. I think they'll be all very helpful for a lot of people who are listening. Appreciate your time. Oh, you're... Thanks for the great questions. Sure, sure. Cutting Edge Web Content Development is brought to you by Butter CMS. To find out how you can build better with Butter, stop wasting dev time, and free your marketers from your legacy CMS, visit buttercms.com. Also, make sure to search for Cutting Edge Web Content Development in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Butter CMS, thank you for listening.